This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Visiting Diplomat loses his sound system. Watches of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that's trying really hard and sometimes isn't doing the best job, but no one can say they're not trying. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, that's too true. It's about it's the episode too, but it's too true for us. Anyway, I'm <laughs> Gep when I'm joined as always my friend and co-host Dr. Isix. Hi! And this week, um, it's that one that people don't remember well. I I, I for, literally forgot which episode we were doing when I started looking at the name. I was like, oh yeah, it's that one with the creepy baby face cloud. And I'm like, no, that's the <laughs> that's the other one. That's the yeah, silence. Yeah, we already one. did that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, this one is the uh, the one with the character who some people might uh, confuse with Reba McIntyre, but no, it's Reva, not Reba. Yeah, this is the episode with the deaf. Uh, I don't know what to call him exactly. Mediator? Amb- he's not an ambassador. He's a conflict resolution dude. Um, arbitrator. Yeah. Oh, oh maybe uh, like he's a, a negotiator like in uh, the Big O. And he has a robot somewhere. I mean, he probably does have a robot somewhere. It's kind of oh. odd that they don't have more robots in this future. <laughs> Especially giant ones. So this episode is called Loud as a Whisper. Uh I it's I don't know something about this name bothers me given the content of the episode. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I guess maybe uh, loud, you know, a whisper and yelling are the same thing. <laughs> they are they're equally as as useful uh, in terms of uh, you know somewhere a character dynamics. So uh, you know that's a thing. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that could work. It was written by uh, Jacqueline Zambrino, I think, maybe. Zam, Zam, Zambrano? Zambrano sounds more like a name than whatever the heck I just said, so we're going to go with that. <laughs> this is her only Star Trek credit. She uh, worked on a horror film called Alligator and um, a documentary, Killing of America. It sounds mm. dramatic. I never saw it. <laughs> yes, uh... It sounds like one of those uh, exploitation sort of movies that are mm-hmm. that have come through the different ages and di- different sort of formats. Uh, some of them being like the uh, we have there's a subject that people are curious about but don't know much about, so we're going to exploit the hell out of it uh, and make it really sexy. And uh, there's also exploitation, as in, well, people are really into uh, this thing, be it uh, 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 you know, Christianity, it could be politics, it could be uh, people really interested in uh, marching band, I guess. And you, uh, you, know, you have a movie about it, and it could be sexy, but it's usually not. Uh, so there's, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like one of those. Well, I can't find it with a cursory search, so sure. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, Jacqueline uh, also uh, wrote uh, a few other things, right? Yes, the, I don't know which one you're talking about specifically. Everything else I have is a bunch of fairly generic-y sounding early t- early two thousands TV shows. <laughs> well, uh, there's Gabriel Fire, which uh, I guess you know is notable because it uh, has uh, James Earl Jones as sort of like the main character, I guess. Huh. Um, so that's kind of cool. But I've never heard the show before, so. <laughs> yeah, she was around. She's one of those people who doesn't have a Wikipedia link, so, you know, Wikipedia doesn't care about her. Does this person exist? We don't know. If someone's not on Wikipedia, it's like they don't exist anymore, <laughs> which is sad. There's something deeply sad about that. <laughs> oh, uh, thankfully, some of my friends actually do exist because they have Wikipedia pages, <laughs> sometimes for weird reasons. Anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> so we've got more guest stars than normal, even though some of them are odd. Uh, mm-hmm. Not the guest star. Well, one of the guest stars is odd, but the characters are odd. Are you calling Cole Beanie odd? No, I'm calling Leo Darman odd. Anyway, uh, this episode's main guest stars. We've got Howie Sego as Riva. Um, he's a very well-known deaf actor. He appeared in Hunter, The Equalizer, was involved in the PBS children's show Rainbow's End which if I didn't know it was a PBS children's show, I would think it was some sort of weird leprechaun horror movie. 
alternatively like a a, a sci-fi uh, original that's trying to be childhood at its end but different or just a really like depressing movie about the waning years of a resort town yeah uh, yeah that might be something to put on the list of things to write for me anyway <laughs> <laughs> he um originally suggested that star trek do this episode his wife was a mm-hmm. big star trek fan they'd never done an episode featuring a deaf character so he he through his interested contacts um got got in touch with the star trek producers and suggested a episode about a deaf mediator and so i like okay let's let's do this let's put this together which is fun like usually that's just weird because you know he gets an excuse because they didn't have any representation on the show so it's like you should write a role for me yeah like who are you i'm howie seagull <laughs> oh well, well okay then <laughs> and then we've got marine Mosen, who's one over via's course there are three people who are essentially the same people and operate as a weird sort of psychically connected mono entity indeed uh the uh, they're uh, not a greek chorus but they kind of act as such for reva yeah they sort of are a greek chorus it's an interesting yeah. concept <laughs> uh so she's it's a successful a tv course. actor um she had roles on something called not landing i don't know what that is okay. dallas hill street blues and uh, oh. she's also married to very notable star trek guest star john delance mm-hmm. and uh uh, Dots Landing is a uh, uh, soap opera from uh, the 80s. Uh, and she was also in uh, The Bold and the Beautiful as Dr. Tracy Peters for like 16 episodes in the early 90s. So I do remember a story from a convention or something that John DeLance was telling that uh, he and his wife, who were you know both guest stars on the show, they were letting mm-hmm. their kid watch the show. And mm-hmm. they were worried about showing him an episode in which his mom dies because it's a younger kid. Yes. So they watch the episode anyway, and he turns around. The kid turns around to his dad and says, "Dad never dies on the show." <laughs> That's one way to react. Yes. <laughs> no, you're right. You have correctly identified sexism in the TV industry. Yep. And let's see, two more. So Randy Oxlaby. Why did I Oglesby. give myself a job where I have to read names? So you could practice reading names. Yeah, but I'm still not good at it. <laughs> well, that's fine. You know, that's that's why I'm here to help you. That's why I'm the co-host, right? I can barely read English. <laughs> mm. Names are, are harder. It's not fair. They taught me phonics, and phonics is a lie. That is true. <laughs> you know, uh, being hooked on it doesn't necessarily help you actually read. Sorry, yeah, folks. I just got to get my next fix. My next fawn fix. Uh, <laughs> I'm a weird... I'm, I'm having a normal one today. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, this, right. um, this is his first Star Trek appearance, but he's uh, one of the few actors who has played seven characters across every iteration of Star Trek up to Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, he's also been in the X-Files, Angel, Independence Day, Liar Liar, Pearl Harbor. He's probably the best known person on this episode, which is interesting because he's like one of the weird little side dudes. Yes. He goes on to glory. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm, I'm here in Star Trek. This is cool. Maybe I'll come back a few times and do everything else, too. Yeah. <laughs> like oh we're gonna do uh dallas today and we're gonna be in uh, the hit list and uh, murder one and seventh heaven and promised land chicago hope the guardian the west wing uh more star trek more star trek more star trek <laughs> and then True finally blood. we have leo damien who is also playing Rivas chorus mm-hmm. the, the the casting for this the the the, the freaking credits are so weird <laughs> anyway um, he's had a lot of TV guest roles. He was on Murder, She Wrote, um, something called The Last Temptation of Christ, which, like, I know what that is, but I never heard of it as a TV show. Uh, I thought that was a movie, actually. It might be a movie. I thought it was in his TV list. But anyway, he was in that. <laughs> uh, he's also worked as a producer. He was also uh, in uh, the, the movie uh, Ghosts Can't Do It. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, this one, I, I found this on a web page, and I don't mean, I, I hope this doesn't come across as mean. I just thought this was very funny because it is almost so obviously written by him himself because 
it says that he is well known for a YouTube cooking channel called Taste This, where he popular where his fans love his popular catchphrase, so lemony. <laughs> well, it's either written by him or a super fan, which yeah, sometimes that's hard to tell the difference between the two. Well, um, but yeah. <laughs> the thing is that I looked up this YouTube channel, and um, I think the the most revealing thing I can say is that it was difficult to find this YouTube channel with the name and the star's name. Oh dear. <laughs> and it no longer seems to be in operation. In other words, I'm more active then. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but you don't have the popular catchphrase, so lemony. Maybe I should steal it. You could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this Minecraft to build is so lemony. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, that's that. Well, there are technically some warriors, but they are barely in this, so mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the warriors too. <laughs> Richard Levine, Chip Heller, um, and then, you know, miscellaneous background characters. Yeah. But I can't name everybody. This is a TV show. It takes too long. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Enterprise has been tasked with currying a mediator to the Remediatus star system. The remedial star system. Yeah. It is a place with a bitter conflict that's been raging for centuries. They have lots of those. And it's, it's just kind of a question of, you know, all right, so you have been literally at war for over a thousand years. I don't know if it's local time or standard galactic gear time or whatever, but that sounds like a really long time to the point that everyone that has ever fought in this, you know, you know the chances are that they are already dead either by the war or old age. So, yeah, you kind of have to beg the question of, what's the point? Yeah. Though, I mean, it's difficult to say, is it one continuous conflict? Is it a lot of sporadic conflicts? I mean, technically, we've kind of been at war for the last hundred years. Mm, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, if it's one giant conflict, yeah, then, you know, you're going to run out of people at some point. Um, but uh, if it's, you know, sort of a... Uh, you know, we're kind of uh, you know, exerting our will over the planet in various ways and having various, uh, you know, uh, enemies of the moment uh, or, you know, maybe a one primary enemy and, you know, proxy wars and all that sort of stuff. Then, yeah, things can last uh, quite a while because there's not a, a pinch point where there's a potential for total devastation. So Picard's in his ready room trying to work out why the planet has a wonky orbit. Because all yeah, just because, yeah, he doesn't have an idea why it's happening, uh, and it's never going to be resolved, and it's not important. It's just showing Picard doing some random science stuff because they needed him to be doing something. Yes, <laughs> and it also lets us uh, show off his uh, holographic desk thing, Majig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Picard's going to lead the away team down to the planet. Riker's worried, but it's fine because it's just a diplomatic introduction, not a proper away mission. So the captain gets to go down to and have some fun on the planet. Hooray! Uh, in the transporter room, they meet with Worf, Troy, and Worf's also worried because, you know, the captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, apparently, Reva helped yeah. broker peace talks between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Um, I yeah. don't really know why this makes him upset, but sure. Well, maybe it's more of a he's afraid of Reva in some fashion because if this guy can tame the uh, the heart of the many Klingons, he might be able to like I don't know convince Worf to punch himself or something. Yeah, this guy faced up with Klingons and made them stop fighting. Yes, it's like, hey guys, what's up? You're gonna stop fighting there, and the Klingons are like, no. But five minutes later, oh yeah, maybe this peace treaty thing is a good idea. Yeah. So they beam down to a large, fancy room that's completely empty. After a bit, a large man enters. See that full beard? He's pretty tall. Very imposing figure, this dude. Yeah, and uh, if I uh, you know, had shorter hair and uh, kept my beard a little bit better, he might actually look a little bit like, like me, actually. So, yeah. Well, then you should probably trim your beard better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there also three other people these three start doing the talking uh picard introduces his team and uh rivera the large bearded guy not rivera riva 
Reva, the large bearded guy, is very interested in Troy, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, Picard's very curious about his method of communication. Turns out that Reva is deaf. In fact, the ruling line of this planet has always lacked the gene for hearing. They're just always deaf. And over the years, the chorus has attuned themselves to the ruler. So now they are psychically connected, and the chorus speaks for the ruler dude. Oh, that's kind of cool, but um, it does beg some questions, though. Like, are these folks, like, the only members of his chorus? And if so, you know, what if some of them, like, die of old age early? Does he get new people to replace them, or, or why? The only thing they really say is that this, is a, this thing takes a while. Like, these people tuning to whatever, his brain, whatever it is, takes a bit. So mm -hmm. maybe you can replace them, but it's difficult. Oh, have to do interviews and you know hang out and go on a vacation together for a while just to sort of see if things work out and then you know at some point you know it's like there's a weird faux pas and you're like but i wasn't thinking that was that guy over there and they're like oh man and so you know have to sort through all that stuff well also they uh, mention uh, some uh, royal lines and the like uh, from uh, earth's history and uh, uh you know we mentioned of hemophilia but uh uh, I don't recall them uh, mentioning specifically the uh, the ridiculous Habsburg chin. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so this is the uh, the face of a royal. This, you know, so you look at someone whose chin is like the largest underbite you could ever like possibly mm. have on someone, and that was like really common in their life for a while. You have a particular problem when you have these royal families that all have to marry each other's cousins for generations. Exactly. And I don't feel bad about saying that because they're royals. Yes. Go away. <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> you inbred yourself too much and now you are, are out of power. Hooray. <laughs> anyway, I didn't, I um, forgot to write down the details of the thing, but in here and then later, there's a very good scene that a lot of people cite where uh, Riva yells at Picard for not talking to him because mm -hmm. you should talk to the person and not the interpreter, which yes. is a very, very common mistake people make. It's like, all right, so uh, we're interacting with you, but my instinct is to talk to the person who is talking here, but that's, you know, actually kind of rude here. So. Mm -hmm. so they get all the explanations of what's going on, and then they are transported back to the ship. Viva comes to the bridge to meet the crew. Picard tells the crew how to interact with him and the chorus, which is also nice. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like, all right, we're going to play this respectful, make sure everyone's up to date, and so that we can, you know, avoid any sort of weirdness. Viva, like, wanders around he likes data because he's unique and interesting mm -hmm. and he bonds with Jordy over how he's blind as a visor i think uh you know it's like yeah it's you're, you're different and that makes us special that's kind of cool yeah. he has the uh he calls his visor the visual equivalent of the chorus which i i guess uh i do prefer the uh, the visor over the uh the uh, the one dress from that one episode it's a little more low-key so uh, reva's shown to his quarters he very creepily asks troy to accompany him like she's into it, but like people need to be less creepy on this show. Yes. <laughs> he and the hottest chorus member leave together, leaving the other two to like hang around. Yes. <laughs> well, the uh, the other two chorus members aren't needed, so uh, Mr. Uh, Scholar and Mrs. Uh, 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 Harmony uh, can hang out with Worf and bother him. Yeah. Like yeah. we don't we don't need to be there. We only need the hottest guy. Yes. <laughs> so in. Uh, Reva's quarters, he flirts with Troy some more. They talk about how they both basically do the same thing, helping people communicate. Uh, then he asks if he can have dinner with her after the briefing. You know, she says she's looking forward to it, so, you know, everyone's into this, apparently. They can't write flirting on this show to save their lives, so it all comes across nope. as really weird and creepy. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it would be kind of nice to maybe have... Uh a guest character come on and start flirting with one of the main cast and the main cast member being all like, I, I don't tr go work that quickly. Um, you know, maybe down the road we can, you know, make something work, but right off the bat, you know, it, it doesn't feel right. Uh, let's get through this mission first and then maybe we can hang out. So we get a briefing. We finally know what's going on. There's uh, two factions of this planet that have been fighting for centuries. Now they're on the verge of extinction. Seems like the t took a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, we uh, sent everyone off to war, and 99% uh, of them have uh, not come back. Um, 
Do we have anyone else? Not really. Uh... <laughs> so Riva interrupts. You know, none of this actually matters. The fight probably started for some reason. There's land or money or something. But it's been going on for so long, the only reason that anybody's fighting is because they used to fight. Uh-huh. Inertia. But, but something must have changed because now they're asking for help. So this is some really good news. Yeah, and uh, 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 what what changed here specifically? Yeah, this is some really insightful stuff. It's well written dialogue for a mediator character, and it'd be really great if it ever went anywhere or paid off. Yes, because we never learn what has <laughs> changed here, and uh, yeah, and the the story is not really about the negotiations at all. So yeah, and uh, Riva's now done, and he leaves to be horny. Yeah, so uh, Troy, it's a. Uh, Let's go hang out. Like he and Troy talk for a bit about the ship. He sends his chorus away and they communicate with some very rudimentary sign language that Troy is able to understand almost immediately. Uh, probably because she's empathic, I would imagine. Oh. Uh, she's empathic and, uh, you know, she's smarter than she's written usually. <laughs> so, yeah. So on the bridge, they detect weapons fire on the planet. Uh, Picard contacts them to explain that they will not bring the ship any closer if they do not maintain their ceasefire. One of the factions contacts them, and uh, they're kind of pissed that it's not Riva talking to them. The other faction forces themselves into the conversation and also demands Riva, so you know Picard has to interrupt dinner. Sorry, I guess the uh, people that like to kill each other are being impatient now because they are still needing to kill each other unless they talk to this guy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so try and Riva enter with the course. He tells the fighters that they're really brave for wanting to stop shooting each other. So they stop shooting each other and <laughs> they decide to beam down to, you know, start setting things up. Good negotiating area on a bit of a hilltop, mountain peak, sort of windswept, desolate place, you know. Lots of uh, mm -hmm. stone columns everywhere that look like they've been taken from the uh, Star Trek V set. And, you know... Uh, Nice open meeting place where we can now have... up to here. I like everything they're doing up to here. Here's just a just a guy who has a novel way of communicating that other people aren't used to, but he's obviously a complete expert at what he does. Mm -hmm. He's completely good at it, and he's able to put up with all these novel situations. He's talking down people who can't even keep a ceasefire up long enough to get the negotiating table. Yes. <laughs> He's got insightful ways of thinking about how to do mediation. It's really good. And then they beam down to a hilltop with Riva and the chorus and Riker and Worf, and they begin beaming down furniture in preparation for the factions to come. Mm -hmm. uh, both factions are supposed to have one representative and one guard. Uh, they get into an argument. The guards start yelling at each other and go, Death before peace, and start firing. Riker grabs Revere out of the way, and the chorus gets vaporized. The first alien shoots his guard, goes, no, we wanted peace, and then they all beam away. He's like, shit. Well, that fell apart quickly. Yeah. So, see, everything up to now I really liked. But now, Riva is frustrated and loses all confidence because he can't communicate without his chorus, and he's just angrily signing. But no one mm -hmm. understands sign language, and he is too agitated to to slow down <laughs> yeah so it's a a bit of a mishmash uh but uh you know the actual uh sign language i believe is uh, supposed to be a uh, uh, american sign language so it is he's just yeah. he's just speaking asl yeah uh, which, uh, uh you can also... actually translate it yes uh i probably should have done that before uh, before we recorded i've but... I've, I've have one some like i found it once i had some notes about it someone had a full translation Apparently, it's difficult to see because they didn't film it in a way where you can adequately see the signs particularly well. Mm. Yeah, because they like he's just doing stuff. Apparently, he he like ad libbed most of it. Like no one bothered to write sign language dialogue. It's like, well, uh, just do what you think would make sense here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, Picard orders Data to work out what sign language he's using and to learn it. Then they take uh, Reva back down to sickbay because he needs to calm down so data narrows it down to five possible languages and learns them all because he has an android brain and can do that in a couple minutes makes sense yes uh, i'm effectively a, a living book mm -hmm. that you can you know that can just you know look up anything i need to so skill wise i have basically everything basically he's like uh, you know uh the various characters that go into the matrix 
So they um, have a universal translator that can figure out any alien language, even ones it's mm-hmm. never heard before. Indeed. By looking at basic language patterns and working it out backward from there. Um, and it has no way to pick up visual language. <laughs> Apparently. It can uh, interpret the thought processes of a cloud, but it can't, you know, sort out American Sign Language. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Also, there's some very troubling implications to the fact that none of them know what sign language is. Yes, uh, I guess uh, we'll get no one in the <laughs> yeah, no one in the future of the Federation is uh, deaf anymore. Mm-hmm. I guess Pulaski explains that she can't do anything for Reva's hearing because he just lacks the gene that allows audio input to properly reach his brain. So you know, there's no cure. I oh, know. You know, the whole infrastructure just doesn't exist. So, you know, you'd have to basically, like, build part of his brain. And, you know, that's a little invasive. So uh, Data's learned signs uh, and demonstrates they seem different to what Reva's using. uh, But I would have to directly look it up to know for sure. But it seems like they're speaking different sign languages as far as I can tell. (laughs) So it's a little awkward, but uh, I guess we'll roll with it. Well, in this demonstration, this is just a demonstration that Data's giving, where he's like, this is the sign for this, this is the sign for this. And they all seem to be nonsense as far as I can tell. <laughs> I was never very, like, I was never very good, but I took two years of ASL in college. So I actually know a little bit of here. <laughs> ah, you're uh, more on top of things than I am. <laughs> now, Riva does seem to be just using ASL. Uh, he blames himself for the death of the chorus. He was being incautious because he was arrogant. And he feels useless because he can't complete his task without the chorus. Hmm. So, yeah, that's where we're at now. He's lost all of his confidence because he doesn't have his communication tools. And in some ways, uh, he and Worf are on the same page in terms of, you know, imagining his greatness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, uh, now he's, uh, you know, even if he still has, a, you know, that sort of view of him in, in some capacity, you know, not being able to express himself uh, as he wants to. You know, kind of puts a giant monkey wrench in the, that plan. We uh, go back to sickbay for a minute for what is a completely useless scene about how Pulaski thinks she could re-go to Jordy's eyes. Oh, she's um, totally done this several times before, too. Yeah, th- you know. this is there's, there's no setup for this. It's just there. It doesn't pay off. It undermines nope. most of the themes of the episode. Yep. <laughs> Uh, they apparently put this scene in here because uh, LeVar Burton was uh, making uh, uh, some, you know, showing some interest about, you know, getting rid of the visor at some point. And so they're like, well, we might be able to do that. Let's uh, have a scene in, a, you know, an episode just happens to be the one where, you know, we're dealing with, uh, you know, folks who, uh, you know, you have uh, physical, uh, you know, uh, handicaps and the like. You know, so that's awkward as hell. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, this uh, seems to be something we want to do. We can now have the uh, the background set up for Pulaski to just sort of pull off the surgery one day. Mm. I know that they have they've, there's a lot of back and forth, especially in the early seasons where the Burton doesn't like acting with the visor because it does take away a lot of what you can do with acting. There's a lot of eye work in acting. Yes. But... Uh, they, as I understand it, they kept getting way too many letters about how amazing it was to have a visually disabled person on the ship. And so, yeah, it's like, oh, all right, well, you know, this is uh, something people actually like in terms of the character. Um, sorry, LeVar. Uh, so Troy goes back to talk to Riva with Data because they can translate. Um, she's been tasked to try to broker the peace talks and, you know, if he can't do it. So uh, she wants to you know, get help. So uh, what's the basics? Uh, yeah, where do like, you start? So what's, your trick? What's, the, what's the trick you use? He goes, I don't have a trick. I just get people to talk and yeah. then try to get them to listen. And you can turn disadvantages into advantages. And Troy goes, well, do that then. Ha I have fixed you. <laughs> oh, well, now that you mention it, I guess I do have a big disadvantage right now. Hmm. And he goes like, ah, yeah, I have an idea that would work. Data goes, what? I'm I'm only getting half of what you're saying here, dude. <laughs> Poor Data. So, uh, Rivia returns with Worf and Riker to the planet. Data and Troy are also there this time, I guess. I feel like it. 
Um, they yeah. beam down to the table and light torches so the factions know they're back, and he tells them all their plan, that he's going to stay there alone and teach them all his language so that they will all learn it and have something in common and have to learn a new way of speaking to each other. I, I guess uh, with uh, learning a new language, uh, it does toss some uh, you know complications if one is trying to be deceptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can, you know, in a very direct way, you know, you know, uh, communicate information that you know is incorrect but hiding it from being obviously a lie does get a little more tricky well you also have to think through what you're saying more you have to pay more Mm -hmm. attention to what the other person's saying because it's a language you don't speak well there's lots of research that says being multilingual affects your ability to think more broadly about things so they leave they leave him there i guess i guess they consider him to be safe enough yes (laughs) and uh, then picard Tells Troy that she did a really good job. Oh, and thanks. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't have a good way to write it. There's a couple of really cringy scenes in here. Like Picard, at one point after the chorus dies, like grabs Reva's head and starts yelling at him. She yes. should not do. Yeah, uh, we're in this together. Oh, a lot why of are his you like, yelling, Captain. <laughs> incoherent ranting when he's just signing wildly, and they say like, "Oh, we can't tell what you're doing. It's too, too." can't pay attention to you you're doing this too fast calm down like a lot of the stuff i've seen translated which again is difficult because um you don't get a full-on shot of his hands well mm-hmm. but a lot of the stuff he's saying is like this is not about you shut up <laughs> yeah yeah which uh you know kind of makes sense to say at that point so talking louder isn't yeah. helping <laughs> so okay. i'm panicking you guys are what what the hell guys come on <laughs> so yeah uh loud as a whisper yeah, so what did you think? Well, uh, there are elements of the story that I really like, uh, but there are elements that, are, as you pointed out, are very like, uh, so I guess it's one of those things where, well, kind of as you started our episode here, that uh, they were kind of trying, and mm-hmm. I guess we can give them credit for that. <laughs> so... I need to give some cultural context for this because um, the way that we, having grown up in the late 80s and 90s, think about disability is very different than where the cultural context of disability was when this episode was written and aired. Because Mm -hmm. this episode came out a full year before the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. People were actively advocating and protesting at the time it's like you know maybe uh, we could you know do anything to not be crappy to disabled people yeah so the cultural context around which this episode was written is that disabled people do not have the same rights to live as other people do because they might need special accommodations that are not necessarily provided which uh, people can think of as unfair because, you know, oh, you need extra accommodations. But you don't need extra accommodations. You need different accommodations. We all get accommodations that work for us as able-bodied people because we don't have to think about it much. It's just considered to be the default. You have a lot of stuff in place that makes the world easier for you to navigate. And all people with different sets of needs are saying is it would be nice if they had that too. Exactly. So I guess maybe a sort of a obvious way to sort of uh, showcase this would be, you know, in tune with the uh, the episode to a direct degree. What if nobody, you know, except for a very small number of people, were able to hear? How would that world of ours look like? Yeah, I mean, I've seen that. You have lights, you have video phones. They actually have stuff set up pretty well for a deaf person in this future because everything's visual. Mm-hmm. They have very little directly audit, like only auditory inputs. Yeah, the uh, yeah, you know, I'm sort of imagining a world where you know, you know, sound is not important at all. There is no music. There is no uh, you know language you know outside of you know, you know sign language or written communication uh, or maybe something else that we figured out. That, uh, you know, there and so you know, so you you let's say you were born so, as someone who now is able to hear and you're now sort of faced with a, a world where yeah you can learn these things 
in order to communicate with you know everyone else who you know cannot hear which is the, you know the majority but if you use a different form of communication to talk to someone who is uh you know you know not deaf as well uh then you know the majority is like what what are you doing why are you communicating like that now and so there could be a, a you know a sort of a i guess a moments of distrust and uh you know you know aspects that come out where it's sort of like you know this person this person is different and therefore bad and all we did was you know flip the equation around I see what you're saying on there. You did fall into a couple of traps already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's there not a great deaf music. An, an, uh, There's analogy, definitely but... deaf music. I've I've heard it. <laughs> no. It just tends to be more bassy. Yeah, yeah. So you can feel it's supposed to uh, pick it up with your ears. Mm-hmm. Also, there are plenty of people in that situation because um, deaf people tend to live in their own communities, both because it, like you know, language is turns into culture. Like people with their own distinct language will eventually have their own distinct culture. It's the way that it works. But also because yes. historically in the U.S. we've taken deaf children and sequestered them in their own individual schools and things and separated from the rest of society, which also tends to, you know, turn into communities. But so, uh, there are plenty of, you know, hearing people who are born into deaf communities. So they learn to communicate with sign language and also verbally and you know, in different communities, they have to act, behave differently. Indeed. Uh, they'll get with my examples where people didn't know all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but now that they do, uh, you know, they are now more enlightened. Thus, my, uh, my terrible analogy uh, breaks down. But, yeah, the, uh, One of know, the other things that, uh, like, for cultural context around this, this is something that, that I had to learn when you take uh, ASL at the college level, they give you a bunch of deaf history stuff. Mm. And uh, this episode took place only a year after one of the largest um, deaf advocacy demonstrations in U.S. history up to that point, where a historically deaf university, like one of the largest deaf universities in the U.S., um, Galadu, um, had never had... <laughs> it had never had a deaf person on the um like a deaf president it never had a deaf president or a deaf person like running the college wow <laughs> so in uh, 1988 they elected a new president who was another hearing person and there were massive protests until they got them to elect an actual deaf person to run the deaf school yeah it's like come on guys you know if we're going to have a you know a community you know a focused uh you know institution like this at least let somebody from that same community run things from time to time if not usually and uh, see that's so the, you know <laughs> that's the thing that we need for the context here and the way that all of this is being demonstrated because that's the idea it's not that deaf people have their own needs and culture and other things and other than that they get along in the world just fine it is that deaf people and other disabled people have something wrong with them that we need to fix or accommodate as shittily as possible the idea that a deaf person would be in charge of a deaf university seems obvious to us now but at the time it was like well why because you just have these people that have something wrong with them like there's no yeah, reason that they need to be able to run a thing or like the you, you can't see the cultural difference that would result from having an actual deaf person running the deaf school there's <laughs> probably a fair bit of uh you know, it's like, well, we could potentially have someone in that position, but they're they're on they are not, you know, physically able to do the job. Yes, because and, uh, yeah, that. I think it. that one of the things that shows too is like the original draft for this episode ends with Reva needing to be taught how to speak. which has a lot of really really bad historical context to it deaf children were usually taught how to speak like naturally like without before asl was standardized into an actual its own actual language uh deaf kids will naturally 
sign to each other. It's it's a pretty no- mm-hmm. a natural way to try to communicate if you can't hear. Yeah. Um, and people used to be punished for that and were forced to learn how to communicate verbally or read lips or yeah, which is half a myth anyway. Like, but mm-hmm. be forced to learn how to communicate with hearing people in a verbal way. So that has a lot of really bad cultural uh, baggage to it. And, you know, um, Sego like told them not to do that without yeah. him. He would like, this episode would have ended really badly. He told them that that was a bad ending and made them change it. It's like, yeah, this episode is, you know, you know, inspired by me, you know, put and pushed by me. And I'm going to be the guest star in it. And if you want this to actually go forward, then yeah, make it not awful, please. Because there's two, like, there's there's two things around that, like forcing people to learn how to talk because it's convenient for you is a problem. Mm-hmm. But also, this episode has this odd thing in it that I, like, I as a hearing able person can't quite figure out my feelings on because. Um, the chorus thing is an interesting novel concept and it's kind of in there as just a disability communications tool, but it is one that exists solely for the benefit of hearing people. Yeah. Um, so he has to have this thing around to the point where he has a complete breakdown of confidence when it stops. And it's not like he doesn't know another language. He immediately switches into sign language. So he obviously the, knows how to communicate non-verbally. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I guess one of the things I, you know, you know, sort of thinking about thing, uh, it now, you know, given what you've you know talked about in terms of uh, your understanding of what he was actually signing is that maybe he is fully able to, you know, via the universal translator or something like that and not whatever magical lip reading that was mentioned in the episode, you know, is able to understand everyone, but he's just being so frustrated with not being able to express himself uh, without this, uh, you know, external aid that, you know, know, it's, it's, you know, he's very, you know, he's sort of angry about that, but he's also angry that everyone else is not understanding that he is still in the game. That they are viewing him as now completely cut off, and he doesn't, ha- you know, doesn't have the tools at the moment in order to, uh, you know, drive forward on that uh, on that front, you know, because they're not understanding him at all. <laughs> and it's like ah, like the fact that he gets so frustrated at the fact of losing what could have been just a little box. Mm-hmm. These these people are unnecessary. This whole psychic chorus thing is a is a useless sci-fi concept that they put in here to get some extra actors in and do something strange and novel. Yeah. This could have been a little box that he wears in his chest that can read his hand movements and, and translates for him. Mm-hmm. Like that's I, I all do, that they would need. I do appreciate that. He does uh, explicitly mention that they're like advisors and friends to him as well. So there's, you know, also that aspect it's like, well, I'm now down my advisors and some of my friends are dead. This yeah. sucks. But that's the thing. You don't get a big thing of, I don't have my team anymore. You mm-hmm. get a, I don't have my communication tool anymore. Exactly. Up to the so. point where a hearing character has to tell him that, in fact, he still can communicate and it's fine. And that's the mm-hmm. resolution to the episode. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely would have liked, if they're going to be you know, using the chorus, actually have that sort of personal relationship matter a lot more uh you know and so you know you know maybe yeah and so you have could have very easily as part of his you know you know uh, angst there a you know some uh you know conversations and uh discussion about you know maybe my quality as a negotiator was in part because of my course not being able to work with them to shape and you know under you know under you know push forward with the best uh, negotiating strategy and to have extra eyes on the situation in order to, uh, you know, keep, keep, keep aware of various things that could be going on that may be, you know, you know, you know, threatening to the outcome of the, of the uh, negotiations. You know, cause you know, if you're in the midst of the essential argument and one of your course notices that one of the people involved is kind of, 
being you know you know a little cagey in some way or is doing some very subtle sort of you know you know tells they could then inform Reva via their sort of psychic connection that oh you're kind of starting to lose somebody maybe you should shift gears or something like that and so you know sort of uh, drawing a circle about that sort of uh, you know complicated relationship there that he's been perhaps relying too much on not just they speak for me and that's all I need them for. That would have made you know the episode better for me. Yeah. I think I would have ditched the psychic thing entirely. Had him mm-hmm. have a team that they all speak the same sign language. Like it's all obviously ASL because that's what he spoke already, the actor. Yes. But you know, they could say it's an alien, whatever. Like they all speak the same sign language so they can all communicate very efficiently because they all speak the same language and translating is always you know slower mm-hmm. so when he loses his team he's down his team he's down his translators and he feels a lack of confidence because of that and then he can realize through having to get troy to communicate with him like he starts teaching troy some of the sign language so that they can talk and then he realizes that if he teaches sign language to the people that he's trying to do that it'll help them all communicate as well instead of troy having to point out that he can still talk yes <laughs> so uh once again we've uh, fixed an episode of star trek <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh yeah I, I i like your plan there and then of course they also get into thankfully they never did this with geordie they, they sort of did it's still like i get that it's difficult to act with the visor the visor became such an iconic character thing it it mm-hmm. honestly still bothers me that they changed it for the movies. You know, I I did uh, I was I guess okay with you know, him basically using a different bit of technology uh, in uh, first contact. It's like all right, so you know, no more uh, visor, but sort of you know, uh, cybernetic eyes instead. Um, but you know, that's pretty soon out the window as well. It's like well, all right, well, I guess there's not, nothing going on there anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. But even that, you get into this same discussion. Like, they even say it in Generations. In the first movie, in Star Trek Generations, the bad guy says, have you ever considered getting a procedure that would make you look more normal? (laughs) And he says, fuck you, bad guy. (laughs) And then the very next movie, he shows up with these freaking magic eyes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like maybe we shouldn't be so uh, focused on appearance and looking like we belong uh, with the uh, the group here and uh, be better about, you know, being excellent to each other and not being bad guys. How about that? And it's fine. Like, it's fine for him to have to need a prosthesis to see. I need a prosthesis mm-hmm. to see. Like, I've had I've worn glasses since I was 10 years old. Like. People don't think of this anymore because they're so normal. But I need a medical mm. device in order to see. <laughs> Indeed, you know, uh, I wear glasses myself, and uh, without them, it's uh, probably not a good idea for me to go driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I can see the car, but I can't read any of the signs. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, and they don't turn anything into an advantage. That's my other issue with the way that they talk about disability on this show, which mm-hmm. I've read several takes on. Is they treat it like it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, even with the uh, the first sort of occurrence of this, as I sort of alluded to, uh, uh, yeah, when uh, the uh, Organian was uh, dropping by, and uh, oh, and uh, Pulaski's actor was uh, uh, Diana Moldar uh, was uh, playing the uh, the one lady, uh, and uh, you know her sort of disability, being unable to see, was treated as uh, sort of a superpower in order to be able to interact with the Organian. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that's, you know, a thing they do on Star Trek. Yeah, she also had that thing in that episode that, uh, you know, no one could tell she was blind because she was so good at interacting with the world. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like Geordi needs a medical prosthesis and then he's fine but it's still visually there and it's still a problem if he doesn't have it Mm -hmm. but then also we can interact with the world just fine normally i know like i am kind of disappointed we never get a even an episode where his visor's disabled and he has to fix an engine by feel yeah that would have been kind of fun actually because it would be interesting like 
he could even say that like somebody could be like oh no it's too bad you like if, you, if we had your visor we'd be able to fix this thing it's like oh i can still fix stuff by touching it yeah <laughs> it yeah, takes know, me a little yeah. longer but like i know what i'm doing come on yeah i just have to make sure i'm you know you know have any basic clue about what's uh you know gone wrong and you know tell me what uh, the display saying that you know it's like oh we're having a the power variability in the uh eps conduit on this deck i was like all right then this is how we're going to fix the problem and i know exactly what to do from here so here we go <laughs> and so you, you know you could have a, a very fun episode where we follow uh Jordy kind of crawling through uh you know jeffrey's tubes and things like that uh, maybe with an assistant and the assistant is just completely baffled by what he's doing but uh you know is sort of trying his best to help and is just completely blown away with you know uh Jordy being able to pull all the stuff off, you know, even without his visor. That would have been, you know, kind of fun. Uh, maybe, like, uh, team him up with someone who's uh, not technically minded, uh, uh, which I guess maybe Riker or uh, Troy mm. uh, or even Picard to a degree. Uh, you know, Picard, you know, uh, you know, is, his background is like a pilot or something like that. Uh, so he's not necessarily all that up on, uh, you know, fixing the ship overall. So uh, mm. that might be a fun little adventure. Yeah, they could be trapped in a shuttlecraft. Something could go wrong. Something could knock out everything, which is why his visor's not working. Mm -hmm. He has to fix the ship by feel. Every now and then he goes, could you read me that number off that panel? Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, this one, that one. I was like, oh, great. Uh, you know, uh, I was supposed to have been replaced with a uh, 4812. Uh, <laughs> I can see why is, they never yeah. did that, because no one wants to have to wear those contacts for more than 10 minutes at a time. Yes. That blank yeah, out well, your eyes. Yeah, it could be, it could maybe uh, do a, a bit of a thing where Jordy's head is just so much in the yeah. It could have been, you could be ship. seeing the back of his head. He could be underneath a panel yeah. half the episode, you know. But still, <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, it's still, still would fun. <laughs> the thing that we've been kind of dancing around through this whole discussion that I feel like we should just, like I should just bring up explicitly, even if we don't have enough time to get into too many more weeds here, is, um one of the newer ways to start thinking about things that that's people advocate for better there's there's obviously debates and discussions but one of the ways that you can think about disability is called the social theory of disability which is basically saying that the thing that someone has being deaf being blind having a movement movement issue um, that is not actually the thing that makes you disabled. That is the thing that makes you different and makes you have to interact with the world differently. The thing that's Indeed. causing a disability is the fact that the world is constructed in such a way that it makes it difficult for you to interact with it if you do not have what one might think of as the default set of abilities. Indeed. Now, uh, I guess kind of, uh, you know, rolling back to pre, uh, you know, Disabilities Act there, you know, if you are someone who's wheelchair bound and everywhere you go, there's steps that, you know, isn't your fault that there's only steps in order to get into these places. You know, it is, yeah. you know, part of the culture that you are not being sort of accepted into that is uh, set up things that way. It also does not have to be a loss gain scenario it's interesting how oppositional that we consider these things but using that example if you have stairs everywhere it makes it very difficult for someone with a wheelchair to get around but stairs are also very very bad for your knees they're not a good way to get up and down things ramps and elevators are actually better for everyone involved yeah, the, uh, they are less space I... efficient they're not always the best solution but having a ramp as opposed to stairs does not affect me, the person who can walk. Mm -hmm. It's not a thing of like, well, now there's a ramp, so I can't get into this building. Like the fact that we set it up so oppositionally, like, I mean, it's just a way to try to break down, to break down things and make us fight each other. Yeah. <laughs> and fighting people fighting uh, uh, each other for uh, silly reasons is a great way to make political hay out of things in order to, mm -hmm. uh, get yourself votes oh, i've yeah. always argued like one just because i i tend to like it as a language i think it's fun uh and it's easier for me to learn because it doesn't involve very much reading <laughs> but i've it's always been kind of baffling to me that we don't just teach asl 
as a second language in school, like most of yeah. the time. It's the one thing that we can guarantee will be useful. Mm -hmm. Like a deaf person can't learn another verbal language as easily as a sighted person can learn a visual language. Yes. It's something that would be very, very useful for most people to know, not just to communicate with deaf people, but it'd also be really good for you to be able to pull out sign language if something loud suddenly started happening. Yeah, <laughs> like, all right, we're uh, at a party and I need to find so-and-so. Have you seen them? I can't, you know, you can't hear a word I'm saying, but I can sign at you and you can pick up what I'm trying to get across and, you know, maybe we could, you know, track them down or if they're, you know, and, you know, if they've not seen them, maybe they're in trouble and we need to go out and try to tra track them down and see what's up. You know, there's, you know, there's, you know, just a simple example there, but, you know, it is a great opportunity for that to, to uh, you know, to, to, uh, to, to be useful. Uh, mm -hmm. By people who are able to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, hear, people are able to speak, uh, you know, you know, like, you know, being you, uh, get point. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, if I knew ASL and knew the people around me also knew ASL, there'd be so many opportunities for me to actually enjoy parties, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be really helpful, too. <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's a certain degree where if the noise level gets past a certain point, even if I'm trying my best to hear someone and they're talking right into my ear, it's just impossible for me to differentiate the background noise from their voice. And it, I'm sorry, well, I'm not able to interact with my friends anymore. You know, the music's loud or whatever background noise is going on is loud. And I might be able to dance, but if I actually <laughs> want to like interact with people, then... I can't do that now, so why am I here? Well, one of the things, too, like, <laughs> like starting to lose your hearing, especially in our modern world, is one of the things that you can almost guarantee is going to happen to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being out ahead of that uh, would be kind of nice. Also, I feel like I should just mention, because some people were taught a version of this in school called Signed English. It is different mm -hmm. than American Sign Language. It is a fundamentally different language. Um, deaf people hate it, and um, you should not equate the two. Yeah. Is this the one where you spell out everything? You, well, you spell out a lot of things. It's just that they're, they, they make an equivalent sign for every word in English. That's why it's called signed English, and you wind up spelling a lot of stuff. Um, mm. ASL has a fundamentally different grammatical structure than English does. Yeah. It like it, it doesn't even make sense to translate the two directly like that. Translating meaning is uh, more important uh, in yeah. that case, not necessarily like, word for word. Just as a very quick example, like I knew someone at a summer camp once who who had learned signed English with their school, and they were translating like a song as a skit thing, and um, they signed and and or and all these other things. I get people. And like I used to do little demonstrations at the library to help me practice when I was learning ASL, like translating mm -hmm. books for children, and which is about the level I ever got I was at was being able to talk to a two year old. But it's a start. Um, like people kept asking parents would be like, well, how do you sign and and or it's like, well, you don't. Those words don't exist. There aren't yes. conjunctions. <laughs> ASL doesn't have conjunctions. I can't help you. <laughs> like i don't know if you want to sign and you say this thing that thing both of those things kind of made clear by the context yeah i, I guess uh as someone who dabbles a little bit in uh, constructed languages uh you know a, a, it does remind me a little bit of uh you know one of the setups i've uh sort of uh, uh done for the one i've been working on the most uh where it's you know this object you know is sort of bracketed by some symbols and it's next to something that is also bracketed by the same symbols and because they are sort of you know parentheses thing parentheses thing then you know that's an and <laughs> and so you don't even necessarily have to pronounce those sort of uh, uh, uh you know uh, bracket uh, uh symbologies there in order to make it clear that you are doing this you know sort of combining like that but yeah, it's there in the written language for clarity yeah, that's one of the weird ones with ASL is it doesn't have a written language. You just write in English. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the requirements are a little different when you uh, 
have different mediums that it is or is not going to be attached to. I think the main takeaway that they they finally they did get to a bit in this episode, but they definitely muddled it too much is disabilities aren't something that you have to fix for people Mm -hmm. and stop it. (laughs) It's a thing that exists and, you know, we get along and everything will be cool. Yeah, I don't even have time to get into like we don't have time to get into some of the things that they've been doing with people recently. So. Mm. Well, there's plenty of Star Trek to uh, to go in the future where we can delve into the various things. Mm. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, mm. we've gone on about that for long enough. This isn't depress- as depressing as as normal, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So hey, you know, the uh, Americans with Disability Act was passed, and uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. So, and yeah. as far as I know. That's not one of the ones they're trying to roll back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least yeah. if they are, they're doing it way more quietly than some of the other shit. Yes. Uh, I, I guess uh, one of the things that I'm kind of happy about in general uh, is, you know, looking back at some of the uh, protests and activism uh, uh, by folks before and after the act uh, in order to, you know, not just get it into law, but also to make sure it's being enforced. Uh, is just how t- uh, tenacious uh, its supporters are. Like, we're going to go into the you know Capitol building every single day and make sure that we are being noticed. And yeah, you know, it just makes me sort of you know uh, you know so proud. Uh, yeah, you know that there's folks out there that know that they're being screwed over, which is bad. Um, but they are not just complaining about it to what it, you know out in the wilderness but going to washington and being like we're gonna make this you know we're gonna change this and we're we're not going to be silent you know until everything's actually like better so let's get going so activism hell yeah i think that's a good message to end on so it's probably time for the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Now, this is a little weird because we are a, a, generally a, a, a an audio medium here, um, and we don't have the budget for, you know, full uh, closed captioning and all that. But I hope uh, folks of, uh, you know, hearing or uh, hearing impaired are uh, able to enjoy it all the same, especially since we got uh, various contestants here of uh, various abilities who have been racking up various points here that... It's now time to hand out a little few prizes here, here and there. So the first one is the Warf Effect Prize, which goes to Scholar Harmony, the Warrior, the, the, the Chorus folks, for simply dying to prove the situation is serious, among other things. Uh, what do they win, Gepwin? They win that thing where the gun's not actually a gun, but it's a teleporter, and they're just somewhere else in the planet living it up, and this was actually just their <laughs> retirement scheme. Huh. <laughs> yeah, Reva's a great doll, but you know, we always have to be with him when he's like taking a bath. It's really awkward. Let's let's get out of here, guys. So <laughs> our second prize is the TV Love Story prize, which goes to Reva and Troy, at least until the main block gets the way enough to, you know, kind of push it towards a close friendship territory instead. What do they win, Gepwin? They win a dang fade to black, because I realize Troy never gets a fade to black on this show. Riker gets mm-hmm. like three or four. Why can't Troy get any? Exactly. Uh, maybe uh, they drop by later and uh, pick up Reva, and then Troy gets the fade to black, but that's not actually an episode, so I don't know. Our last uh, prize is the uh, Dropped Plot Prize, which thankfully goes to Jordy and Pulaski with regards to that whole getting new eyes via surgery business. What do they win, Gapwin? They don't win anything. It's just th- This is why Pulaski got fired. This right here. Mm. Like, she kept pushing this thing. It's like, stop it. You're making our engineer uncomfortable. We're getting our old doctor back. Yes. Uh, you know, she uh, uh, technically got a promotion to Starfleet Medical, you know, running the entire thing. But we can, you know, pull some strings and get her back over here, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's all the prizes we've got to hand out this week. Uh, so feel free to take us away, Kevin. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I can't remember what joining us is, but you can't see me signing anyway, so doesn't really matter. Ah. <laughs> so thanks for being here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo!
I don't know if I'm sounding different to our audience or not this time. Yeah, we've had to change recording software as well for one person anyway. Yes. So anyway, so, sorry uh, if everything sounds really bad and we'll fix yeah. it next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just for just so Gepwin knows, uh, the software does appear to be actually recording still. So that's good. That's always <laughs> a good sign. <laughs> yes, uh, it's going to be so weird if we have to re-record this. <laughs> anyway or, uh, yeah. next time when our sound might be more normalized uh-huh. <laughs> uh, next episode is called the schizoid man not so, sure uh, why we got, do we have mental health, uh, health issues to worry about only sort of hmm. sort of it's the episode where they meet an old dude who claims to know data and then data starts acting weird and uh, it also features the amazing uh weird ring around data's head shot yeah just <laughs> both hilarious and kind of cool <laughs> so yeah this one is another this is another one of those ones that i just full-on did not remember until we were watching through stuff again for this <laughs> i was like oh yeah that was an episode wasn't it it does feature a uh particular uh guest star who is basically in tons and tons of uh star trek yes an English actor Robert. has appeared in over 10 films, 100 films and movies and acted for 50 years. He, yeah, he's been kind of in everything, uh, including Star Trek VI. Remember that uh, guy that was like, you know, all right, since you're going to die anyway, I might as well tell you the entire pl- evil plan. Yep. And then they beat him away. <laughs> <laughs> you also get uh, the first appearance of another actor who's been in lots of Star Trek things. Hmm the other doctor but, yes <laughs> the vulcan but, uh, i think she was a vulcan in this one uh yeah uh lieutenant salar yeah salar yes uh she uh plays a, a few different roles throughout uh including uh someone that some folks call Susie q i believe yep yes <laughs> yeah she never gets a normal name on this show but anyway she's yeah. also in a lot of things and we'll meet her next time so uh, she'll be around. Yeah, that'll do it. So next time, the Schizoid Man, which is an episode that that I'm pretty sure exists and I saw. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, 21st Century Data Man. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>